0: It so happens that uh, that about fifty years ago, for the very first time, I heard someone uh, read the verses I'm about to read. First Thessalonians, if you want to turn there, chapter five. And Bev and I was talking about this earlier. I, I didn't elaborate, but I, I mentioned these verses this afternoon and said I was going to preach from these tonight and. And we both remember that instance where somebody just read these verses, and I thought, wow, I, I didn't know that was even in the Bible. And, uh, and to have so much packed in so few verses just really impressed me. And, uh, and I want to speak to you tonight about some basic attitudes for better believers First Thessalonians 5, verse 16. Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the Spirit, despise not prophesying, prove all things, hold fast that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil. Now, we're all familiar with the Beatitudes delivered by Christ uh, whenever he preached the Sermon on the Mount. We all know about that, right? And uh, we're familiar with those sayings. But here, here we see Paul speaking about the matter of, uh, of attitudes. In fact, he gives us these admonitions concerning attitudes. Maybe that ought to be the title. I don't know. Admonitions concerning the attitudes of believers. In the previous verses leading up to this, Paul has just spoken about our actions. I wish I had time this is such a great chapter in fact and we'd go back and start in verse number one but he he's speaking about the fact that you know before the Lord comes the things are going to get worse and and it's so important that we watch how we behave in these last days and so he's been speaking about our actions but now our attention is turned to the matter of attitudes and this is a this is a lot more important than what you might think. I love what uh, uh, Brother Gerald Harris wrote in this regard. Uh, Pastor Gerald Harris uh, made a comment about this, and, and I jotted it down. He said, Some of the most unpleasant, unChrist-like people I've ever known were sound as a dollar theologically, separated from the world ethically, straight in creed, strict in conduct, And singing, I'm dwelling in Beulah land. But if we profess heaven is our home, we should show the fruit of it. There's no use singing of milk and honey, figs and pomegranates, if all we have to show is crab apples. (laughs) Oh, he hit the nail on the head with that, I'm telling you what. And it makes a difference. It makes a huge difference as to uh, whether or not the Lord is able to bless us. So here we find a list of several different things that are of extreme importance because the world is watching us. They are observing everything we do. And, uh, and like the old saying, you know, what we are, you know, action speaks louder than words. And so as they look at us, they're going to make judgments, not just about us, But they make judgments about Christ and Christianity in general based on what they see in us. And God forbid that we make the glorious gospel something repulsive to them rather than something attractive. So let's notice these basics for better behavior. Verse 16, the first thing is that we ought to be joyful. Notice he says, Rejoice evermore. Be joyful. A lot of people don't seem to realize that happiness is actually a choice. Now, I understand joy is a part of the fruit of the Spirit. It would be impossible for us to have real joy were it not for the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. But although it is a part of the fruit of the Spirit, it's not something that the Lord imparts to us contrary to our will. In other words, as a Christian, we have to to make the choice that we are going to allow the Spirit of God to control our life to the extent that we are joyful Christians. So it's our responsibility. Well, we couldn't do it without the Lord, but He doesn't just make you all of a sudden, you know, uh, uh, be joyful. It's not forced upon you. It's something of your own choosing. But we live in a day and an age where a lot of people have the idea that it's everybody else's job to make them happy. I think it's their responsibility. You're supposed to make them happy, and they're mad about it if you don't. In fact, they have even assigned that responsibility to our federal government. They think it's the government's job to provide whatever we need, including happiness. But if you'll read the Declaration of Independence, it does not give you the right to happiness. It gives you the right to life and liberty and what? The pursuit of happiness. The pursuit of happiness not a right to happiness, but the right to pursue happiness. And you better believe that people are breaking their necks trying to be happy. Everywhere you go, whatever it is that people are doing, they're doing that with the hope that it will bring happiness before I was saved I thought man if, all I got to do to be happy is if I, if I can get a new shotgun if I can get a new boat if I can get a new motor if I can do this if I can go there you know that'll make me happy but it it never did and and it never does because the world doesn't have anything to offer that will make us happy so whenever these people fail then that's when the blame game starts they expect someone to make something happen that will make them happy, and it's not working. And so they start blaming people. They blame it. Well, I had a poor childhood. You blame mom and dad, you know, for it. Or, or I had, uh, you know, I, 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 I just had a bad experience whenever I was a kid growing up. Well, I think just about all of us did have some bad experiences. And so you see, we can't go through life blaming others because we're miserable. And what we need is joy, that is that inner attitude of cheerfulness regardless of what is happening. And if you're a Christian, you never have a reason to not rejoice. I mean, by the way, whenever joy is missing, that ought to be, you know, like one of these yellow caution signs that tells you, you know, get ready to stop. Uh, And it ought to be telling us, hey, there's something that is wrong here. There's something that is terribly wrong because if Nehemiah was right when he said the joy of the Lord is your strength, then if we don't have the joy of the Lord, that means we're weak. And if we're weak, we're susceptible to temptation. And what we are in the danger zone any time that we lose our joy. And, 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 and boy, whenever you stop and think about how good God is and everything that God has done, it is amazing that there is so much doom and gloom. I mean, it's like you get up in the morning, you you just have to fight, you know, kind of looking for something that'll, you know, make you happy for the day. And it ought to be, for a Christian, it ought to be as natural as breathing because there's never a moment whenever we shouldn't be happy. So notice he says that we are to rejoice. Now, you know, it's one thing that somebody will say, you know, that, well, Uh, I'm really a happy person you know I'm you know I'm happy inside but notice what he says here rejoice evermore in other words it's to be expressed that gets emotional sometimes doesn't it now, I know we all we all have we got different makeups. We're not all the same when it comes to our display of emotions. I understand that. But whatever it is for you, there ought to be some rejoicing, not just whenever we come to church. He says rejoice evermore. That that would mean wherever you're at, right? We ought to be rejoicing in the things of the Lord. And we ought to take it as a serious, serious problem in our life whenever we lose our joy. Don't be like the Israelites and hang your harps on the willows and sit back and bemoan the fact that things are going bad because they could be a whole lot worse. There's always something to rejoice about as a Christian. I mean, the best is yet to come. We have all of these things that we don't deserve, and God is so good. We have something to rejoice about. Now, don't we could turn around and say, Well, uh, you don't understand what I'm going through. No, I, I really don't. But that doesn't change the fact that you have all of these blessings. And notice, that leads us to the next thing. Not only are we to rejoice... But he says to be joyful, and then he says be prayerful. That's the next attitude, be prayerful. He says pray without ceasing. So there ought to be more than rejoicing, right? You see, we live in a day and age where in a lot of churches they've turned everything into entertainment, and it's all about emotion, the thrill, and the excitement but there's no real deep concern about fulfilling our spiritual obligations and things. I, I got so aggravated the other day. I saw something that, and I've got to really be careful here because I know this is going out and I know some of you would even know, oh boy, why do I do this to myself? Boy, for somebody to get up and put on a a big display of spirituality and emotion and, and, and express it and then to post some garbage like they do on Facebook for everybody to see. It's like, what in the world is wrong with you? Let me explain it this way because I want to make this point. You know, we often talk about, or at least I talk about, modesty, and uh, we always think about modesty in regards to the to the women. I, I, you wives, if some your husband posted something saying, "Hey, look at that boy," you know, and there's not any difference whenever you take a picture and got some guys up there in skin tight jeans. Boy, I could get graphic here. This is the way real men wear their jeans. I shouldn't have said any of this because I, I can almost guarantee you that's all right. Let me tell you, the same people that get mad about their husbands doing something, turn around and put that kind of crap on Facebook. And then get all excited about serving the Lord. Be joyful, but you better not stop right there because your joy consists, your religion, your responsibility consists of more than just being giddy about Jesus. Oh, I'm so excited! I'm so emotional! I. You know, that's good. We need more emotion, but it ought to be real, true emotion that's born out of a spiritual experience with the Lord, and believe me, He's not in that kind of junk. Be prayerful. I don't even have words to start to tell you how important this is, and I've said it so many times, if we fail here, we fail everywhere. I was talking this morning about all the great things we'd like to see God do here, and there's no telling what God could do, really. There, there's not. Uh, I mean, we can build buildings all over this parking lot you know, and all over this property and buy more property and build buildings and fill them. I mean, God can do that. There's not any doubt about that. But we can't expect God to do that or God can't. we can't expect God to even keep us going where we are if we don't pray. When we think about vacation Bible school, it can be a great success. Many souls can be saved, but we can't expect God to do anything if we don't pray about it. We need to be praying that God will anoint these workers and give them wisdom in dealing with those kiddos and that God will open their hearts and God will rebuke the devil and God will just remove every hindrance and cause great things to happen. We are to be prayerful. And notice he says, be prayerful without ceasing. Now, I realize you can't spend 24 hours a day down on your knees, right? But we can be prayerful without ceasing in the sense that we live in an atmosphere of praise and prayer. I mean, that, that driving down the road or whatever we're doing, and we ought, to, we ought to relate everything that's going on in our life. We ought to relate all of those things to God and, and be offering up praise and prayer to the Lord. Now, to do that, we need to be mindful of three things. Number one, there ought to be a constant awareness. Number two, complete dependence upon the Lord. Because we stop praying when we think we can handle it, right? That's when we really get in trouble. You know, I don't need to ask God for anything, I can handle this job all by myself. No, you can't. Complete dependence, and then there ought to be continual communication with the lord there's nothing to say that you can't pray going down the highway there's nothing that says you can't pray whenever you're laying on your bed at night and your head on the pillow and you're about to go to sleep go to sleep praying there's not you know I know that doesn't sound like the most spiritual thing in all of the world but but you can communicate with god anytime any place wherever you are and we need to do that there ought to be a prayer in our heart and praise on our lips continually and and you you know you, you just can't help but wonder you know we often talk about praying for the church we ought to pray for every service we ought to not only pray before the service begins we ought to pray while the service is going on we ought to be in an attitude of prayer you know, look, if we would do that, and you have to do that intentionally, it's not something that just happens because the devil's going to come along and the devil's going to do everything under the sun to distract you. The devil's going to put some little cute kid there in front of you and you'll be making Google eyes at that kid and, and Bev and Darlene, you know, as much as they love kids, boy, they'll, they'll be, a, you know what I'm talking about. I've, look, I've been guilty of that. I know what I'm talking about. It's real easy to get distracted by stuff that's going on. It's real easy for Satan to remind you of something that happened yesterday. And boy, that's still bugging you. Start praying. Look, you can't, you can't think about two things at the same time. That's what worry means. It's a divided mind. You're bouncing back and forth between these things. But if you'll just get your focus on prayer, pray continually, be prayerful, you'll be amazed how much better you can pay attention during the message. Now, be joyful, be prayerful, but here's the third, here's the third attitude. He says, be thankful, verse 18. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Now, like these other things that I just mentioned, this is something you know. Naturally, we could talk about for 30 minutes or for an hour, and we don't have time for that. But we never have a reason to not have an attitude of gratitude, nor do we ever have a justifiable excuse for not expressing that. I want you to notice he doesn't say here concerning the matter of uh, of gratitude. Just be grateful. He says, be thankful, give thanks in, in everything. That's talking about the expression of your gratitude. It's one thing to say, well, you know, I've got a grateful heart. I just so appreciate all that God, God's done. We need to express that. That's what thanksgiving is. It's putting your feelings of gratitude into words. It's expressing it in some appropriate way. Express it. Give thanks in everything. Now I know we can all think of something that we're not particularly thankful for, right? Migraine headaches, cancer, heart disease. We've got this whole long list of things that that can get us down if we're not careful. But listen, even, even when those things are troubling our heart, we can find something to be thankful for. I mean, if we're Christians, we can, right? And that's what we have to, again, we have to, of our own volition, we have to force a change of our focus from that which is bad to that which is good. That's why in Philippians chapter number 4, you know, Paul just got through saying, be careful for nothing. That is, don't worry about anything. Well, how in the world do you do that? How in the world can you conquer you know, all of your troubles and trials, how can you not worry about these things? Well, he explains. He says, if there be any virtue and there be any praise, think on these things. And he gives us a list of things to think on. And if you're thinking of those things, you won't be thinking about the other things. And whenever we do that, he turns around and says, and the peace of God, the peace of God will rule in your heart then. So whenever it comes to this matter of of being thankful, expressing our gratitude, it's something that we can do in everything. Now, what makes this so important? Why, Why is it such a big deal? Well, he explains that. Here's the answer for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. That's what makes it important. It's the will of God. We talk about different things being important because you know God expects us to, let's say, attend church. Forsake nothing assembly of yourselves together, right? Okay, that's the will of God. That makes that that makes that important. Or, or the Bible speaks to us about the need for us to feed our soul on the Word of God, and that makes Bible study important. And we got this long list of Christian responsibilities that are all things that God has expressed concerning His will for our life. And they're important, why? Because it is the will of God. So it is the will of God that we be thankful. Somebody said that people tend to fall into two categories. Some people are humbly grateful and others are grumbly hateful. And it just seems like everybody falls in one of those two categories. And we need to ask ourselves, which category do we fall in? In everything, give thanks. Now, if I'm going to do that, I need to focus on my blessings instead of my burdens, right? Every person here can think of a burden in your life something that is weighting you down, something that is troubling you. Everybody everybody has something like that. And, and in order for us to be expressive of our gratitude, to be thankful, we need to focus on our blessing rather than our burden. We need to think about what we have instead of what we don't have. Everybody can think about something you don't have. And whenever I say that, I'm not necessarily talking about something that is extravagant, some luxury of some kind. We all think I don't have a Rolex watch, you know, and, and I don't guess I ever will. Uh, don't really want one. Be afraid to wear one. Be afraid somebody would mug me if I had one. So we all think of something that we don't have. But we can all think of some things that we, we don't have that would really be nice. There's some of you, I guarantee you, on your job, you can, you can think of situations where some of you need a raise. You haven't had a raise in a long time, and it's not fair, really. I mean, and, it, and, and it's really not. And so you go to work, and you work as hard as anybody else, and you don't get a raise. And, and some of you here that, you know, you've got health problems. Some of you got other kind of problems. And if you just focus on that, it'll drive you flat dab nuts to just focus on that stuff. We keep thinking about what we don't have. Start thinking about what you do have. You have salvation, the forgiveness of sins, the hope of heaven. You have Christian friends. You have family that loves you. And that list goes on and on and on of things for which we can be thankful and all of these things you have are the result of grace. It's not the result of any goodness on your part. Amen. It's the result of mercy. It's not because of merit that we're so deserving that God just, you know, couldn't help himself. He just had to do these good things for us. No, we don't deserve any of that. And that's why we ought to be thankful for everything. If we don't deserve anything, we ought to be thankful for everything. Be thankful Be prayerful. Be joyful. Notice verse 19 now. We ought to be yielded. Notice what he says. Quench not the spirit. That word quench means putting out a fire. That's the word that you would use back then. If you was going to put out a fire, you'd quench it. Now here he's talking about quenching the Holy Spirit. And we quench the Holy Spirit when we refuse to do as we should or when we do what we shouldn't. In other words, our sin can take the form of a sin of commission or omission. It can be that we're doing something that we shouldn't be doing or we're not doing something that we should be doing. And regardless of the nature of the sin, it makes no difference. Whatever the nature of the sin might be, the effect of it is the same in that it quenches the Holy Spirit. And, and that, that grieves the Spirit of God. The, and over in Ephesians 4.30, Paul said, Grieve not the Spirit. That word grieve is a love word. Grief comes as a result of the disappointment of the failure of somebody that you love. And that's why I've often talked about, you know, hurting the heart of God. You know, how, how can you hurt God? I mean, you, 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 you can't punch Him and hurt Him. How, how would you hurt God? He's almighty. He can do all things. How, how would you hurt God? You can hurt the heart of God in that you grieve God as a result of your stubborn rebellion against god and that's why he's telling us here quench not the spirit and and, and so many times and, and brother kenneth can attest to this and some of you sunday school teachers i've even heard some of you talk about it that during the course of the lesson or the message that many times that maybe you'll look at someone and you can tell that they are they are under conviction, and God is dealing with them. And it is so obvious, their countenance just screams out, God's talking to me, and they're, they're miserable about it maybe. And, and you can just watch them as they are resisting what they know they need to do. And, and please understand that when we do that, we are grieving the heart of God because we are quenching God we, we we have to be sensitive to what the Lord would have us to do. Now, you be real careful here, because there's a lot of people got these weird ideas about how God leads us. You hear people talking about, well, the Lord told me. The Lord told me this, and the Lord told me that. And God gets blamed for a lot of stuff He didn't have anything to do with. Yeah. Kind of like the one woman, you know, that every week she'd go to church and she'd have on a white sock and a black sock or a black sock and a white sock or, or no socks or one sock and a barefoot. And And somebody finally asked her, what, what in the world are you doing? And she said, well, she said, every morning whenever I get up, and she said, I sit on the side of the bed and I pray and ask the Lord what to do. And said, uh, do you want me to wear a sock on my right foot? And and I wait till the Holy Spirit gives me some uh some direction and then I ask him what color he wants and <laughs> now I know that yeah you, yeah, you, I, I know you haven't gone to that extreme but I'm telling you there are some people that well I just know I prayed about it and the Lord told me to marry him baloney not if it violates what he teaches in the word of God Don't ever blame God for leading you to do something that's contrary to what the Word of God says. The Spirit of God doesn't lead us to do things like that. By the way, how does He lead us? The Spirit of God uses what? The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. He convicts us through the Word of God. And that's why it's so amazing even as you're reading your Bible or sitting in Sunday school or during a worship service and all of a sudden there'll be some particular verse of Scripture and you didn't even see it coming. And all of a sudden just the mention of that particular verse or something, man, it's like the Spirit of God reaches out and grabs you by the throat and starts shaking you. And all of a sudden you realize that God is dealing with you look don't resist be sensitive to his leading be submissive to his will for your life now I know we'd like to think that we can, we can, we can quench the spirit that we can ignore the spirit and that nobody's going to know nobody's going to know we're living in rebellion but it doesn't work that way does it because it shows up in our life if the fruit of the spirit is love joy and peace and those other six things that are mentioned in Galatians chapter five that's the fruit of the spirit and any person and every person who is submissive to the will of God submissive to the spirit of God is going to have a display of the fruit of the spirit it's going to be evidenced in their life and whenever look whenever those graces are missing from our life you mark it down it's because of the fact that we are not being yielded to the direction of the holy spirit be yielded be thankful be prayerful be joyful now verse 20 be attentive despise not prophesying. Now remember, this was written before the completion of the Bible. Think about how it must have been back then. And think about the thrill of, of let's say, Paul or whoever it might be and and them enter into the city and they have a written record of their message from God to a particular church. That's what the epistles are. They're letters. They're letters to churches. Or it might be that somebody else brings that letter to a particular church. And how exciting it would be to get a letter like that. But the Bible hasn't been, hasn't been finished at this point. So God used prophets Prophets were forth tellers usually when you think about you think about prophets you think about somebody telling the future but it was a whole lot more than that it wasn't just about telling what's going to happen in the future it was telling forth the word of God and they spoke by divine inspiration as God gave them the message they would speak by the way they didn't have study like brother Kenneth and I to get their message. They didn't have to sit down and, you know, look for three points in the poem and try to figure it out in a way that, you know, that will be able to break through the wall of resistance and get the attention of people. They just got up and delivered what God put on their heart. And they, look, they spoke without air. While they were prophesying, it was perfect. It was without air. It was the very Word of God. Now, God doesn't do that today because we have the completion of the Bible despise not prophesying that word despise means contempt it means to set at naught or it means to make of no account back then it was prophesying today it is the preaching of the word of god and 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 he's talking about our need of being attentive to the word of god rather than disrespectful, and rather than disregarding what God says. You know, there's a lot of different ways that we can do that. Obviously, that if somebody, you know, just while I was preaching, for example, if they were talking and writing notes and doing all kinds of stuff like that, it would be obvious to everybody, well, boy, they're being so disrespectful, they're not paying attention. But other people can basically do the same thing, sitting there, looking in this direction, but they're thinking about any number of different things. Even though the word of God is being being preached, they're showing no respect for it whatsoever. And look, this is, that, that is a dangerous thing for us to intentionally turn the deaf ear to God when He's speaking. I, look, I don't expect you to listen to me just because it's me. I don't expect you to listen to me just because, you know, I might uh, wax eloquent or something like that. That'd be a joke in itself because I'm not an orator. I'm just an old country preacher who can't even pronounce a good number of words and what have you. And... and uh, I'm liable to start new sentences right in the middle of the, of the one that I'm in and I, know, I, I don't expect you to listen to me but boy when it comes to the word of God we ought to be all ears tuned in be attentive now verse 21 we ought to be discerning prove all things hold fast that which is good that word prove means to test something You put it to the test. And notice this has to do with all things. In 1 John, the apostle there speaks about trying the spirits, whether they be of God or not. We are to put everything to the test. And the reason for that is because things are not always as they appear to be. And we never want to be so gullible that we just swallow everything hook, line, and sinker. Be careful... Be careful what, for example, what you forward on email or what you post on Facebook or what you believe through the grapevine. I know there have been some times, especially at the very beginning, and boy, you know, I I, I didn't even know how to type or anything and just hunt and peck on there, but I learned how to send emails. that that's the greatest thing in all the world. And some of the kids said, you know, Papo, you you ought to get on Facebook. And so anyway, I I got on Facebook and, uh, and tried to use it in a good way to, to say positive things and, uh, you know, present the Word of God. Uh, but especially during the political season, I was guilty a few times of sending something. I'm going to forward that. I read that. I didn't know it was fake news or, you know, it, boy, it looked good. It seemed to come from a reputable source. It might have even come from another preacher who had shared that, and I thought, well, boy, that's got to be the truth. And then later on, I find out, you know, that wasn't factual at all. And so you have to go back and try to print a retraction. I'm simply saying, don't be so gullible as to believe everything, and certainly you don't want to pass that on. But it goes beyond that, folks. It goes beyond email and Facebook and stuff like that. It has to do with whatever you read whatever you watch, whatever you hear. And let me tell you, the most dangerous are the false preachers out there. You know, just about every one of those successful false preachers have some quality about them that makes them attractive to people. It might be their oratorical ability. It might be their charming personality. It can You know, it can be a lot of different things. Brashness appeals to a lot of people, and so all of them have some trick up their sleeve. It might be that they put a heavy, heavy, heavy emphasis on some area of the Christian life that all the rest of us are basically neglecting, and they see that, and they jump on that bandwagon start beating the drum, and boy, it gets a lot of attention, and they become successful. And as a result... A, a, a result of that all of a sudden you've got people believing whatever they say i can remember the time when jimmy swagger started becoming so popular you know why because man like the first time i heard that guy saying wow i thought that was the greatest thing since sliced bread i didn't know anything about him whatever i i heard him sing, and it boy it just amazed me and uh it just was such a blessing. I had no idea the guy believed what he did. But all of a sudden, you've got all of these Baptists talking about, boy, great boy Jimmy Swagger, Jimmy Swagger's going to be in town. Let's go down to his concert or, you know, Whatever. And all of a sudden, you got all of these people supporting some ministry that's preaching heresy. Be careful what you listen to and who, what you read, what you watch, and everything. We are to weigh everything in the scales of God's Word to see whether it's true or not. Prove all things. Put everything to the test. And notice, he says, "...and hold fast that which is good." So we could add another beatitude here, you see, if we wanted to. Not only should we be discerning, but we ought to be faithful. That we ought to hold on to that which we discover to be good. Don't depart from it. But if there was ever a need for discernment, folks, it is today. Now one more. Verse 22, we need to be careful. Be careful. Abstain from all appearance of evil. Now, you know, I could, have just, I could have just summed that up by saying here, be wise. But in reality, this is what walking wisely is all about. It's about being careful. Remember, the, the, over in, the, in Proverbs, Solomon's talking about ponder the path of thy feet. That word ponder implies weighing, it, it taken into consideration, and whenever Paul so, spoke about walking circumspectly, it's a kind kind of a word that you would use to. Think about a cat walking on a rail fence, for example, and boy, he's careful to put one foot, one paw, right in front of the other one, right in the exact place. That's just a picture of the way that we ought to walk. We ought to be so very careful in all that we do and abstain, notice, not just from all evil. And that word abstain means stay away from. Keep it out there at arm's length. Stay away from it. Don't get close to it from all appearance of evil. Many years ago, there was a famous preacher with the name of Wilbur Chapman. I know most of you have never heard of him, but he was a very, very popular preacher many years ago. Somebody asked Brother Chapman if if he could maybe give them some kind of a good rule by which to live their life. This was his reply. He says, this rule governs my life. Anything that dims my vision of Christ or takes away my taste for Bible study or cramps my prayer life or makes Christian work more difficult is wrong for me and I must as a Christian turn away from it. Well, I agree with with everything he said there. But I can sum it up a whole lot shorter than that. When in doubt, don't. When in doubt, don't. Just don't do it. If there's any doubt about it. And so many times I've had, I'd, I'd asked Bev, uh, of course I always ask her, you know, does this tie look okay with this coat or whatever and get her approval on it. So if I ever wear a really gaudy, bad-looking tie why well, you can... It never happens, but uh, I shouldn't have said that. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. We ain't home yet, children. But I say, does this shirt need iron or or, or worse? Just hold it up. And Does this shirt smell? You know what the answer is? If you have to ask, don't wear it that's pretty good advice folks that's good advice for life and i've had i've had young couples come to me and you know they well we think we're in love and we think we want to get married and so forth and and and, uh well usually it's one or the other you know because one you know they try to act like really i'm convinced yeah i love you with all of my heart let's get married tomorrow and and, and well, I've been, you know, I've been thinking about it. And I've been praying about it, and, and I think maybe I ought to marry him. What What do you think, preacher? I, and my answer is the same. No, don't. God's not the author of confusion. Amen. In doubt, don't.